Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Welcome to another episode of Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast. This is Nick Fulweiler. How are you doing, Peter Bell? I am doing fabulous. I am excited for today. Yes, today. Speaking of today, it is our final episode of season one. Yep. This has been 15 episodes. Uh, We have been uh, recording them like crazy before you get back to school. Yep. Yeah, it'll it'll be a fun couple weeks. But no worries if you guys are like, oh no, we're not going to see anything. It's we got we got some stuff planned, so don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. So we we recording one doesn't mean we're done. It just means this is the foundation. Right. Uh, at this point, if you're listening to this, it's probably about mid-November. Yep. Getting ready for Thanksgiving plans, and uh, but you know, as you're hearing it, we recorded this. Uh, gosh, it's September second today. Yeah, in 2024, we're actually well ahead in the future. So we actually know exactly what's going on in the world. No, we don't. Uh, <laughs> we, cranked, we, cranked out, we cranked out 15 of these episodes within, uh, within probably a three-week period. Yep. So, um, yeah, all glory to God that we were able to do it. It's, it's kind of like we sit back and it's like, man, it's a miracle. It's all due to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of good feedback. Thank you guys. And we're going to continue pumping out material and, and uh, produce content for a reformed understanding of the Bible, um, of the church, and give you guys some categories and things to grab onto as you as you live this Christian life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with our, with our way of explaining things is our reformed doctrine view which uh we're not trying to make it sound like we're overly aggressively dogmatic it's more of just trying to explain things from this uh point of view that uh, we believe is pretty proven um yeah however just to let you guys know you know if you're christian and, and and you're justified meaning you're you believe Jesus is the Son of God and died for your sins, and you've given your life to Him, then you are uh, salvation took care of that. You're brothers and sisters with us anyway. So, so yeah. uh, just know that. Um, so, we are answering tons of questions today. So, <laughs> the respect of time. Um, we will do kind of a rapid fire approach and let you, Peter, uh, probably decide if you want to elaborate too much on one of them or a lot of them are from previous episodes. You can just be a quick reference of what episode it was. Yeah. Um, but this is a great way to wrap up the season because what it is is common, the most common misunderstandings of Christianity. I think that's a great way to kind of put a bow on the season. Yep. Yeah. Both from believers of different stripes to objections from those who don't believe. Yes. And then uh, 
closely related to it apologetics, which yeah. does not mean that we are saying we're sorry, we're Christian. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a kind of a different meaning. Um, yeah, the, the Greek word apologia is just defense or a, it's what they would use in a courtroom to ask for like a defense attorney to provide his defense for his cause or for a prosecutor for his defense. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a courtroom legal term, just like a lot of what the Bible talks about is courtroom legal stuff. Mm -hmm. So as a little quick roadmap of what we're going to do, um, I found online with a quick Google search that uh, the top misunderstandings. And I feel like it was easy to kind of do because they're gonna pretty much go through everything people would wonder anyway and some additional questions that they didn't think to ask. Yeah. Uh, so the first ones are gonna be from, uh, I found from Relevant Magazine, which are the seven misconceptions of Christianity. Then I got um, from faithfacts.org, common misconceptions of Christianity. Yep. And then, I, um, from the book, Tim Keller, The Reason for God, uh, the beginning part is really good. It's the addressing the um, leaps of doubt yep. um, that he covers very well. So I highly recommend reading that book. Mm -hmm. um, we'll break down those seven doubts that people have and how he addresses those. Mm -hmm. um, and so we will be able to kind of go through that. So we got a lot of stuff to cover and let's just kind of like jump right into it here. Yep. Cool. So starting with relevant magazine, the seven misconceptions, we'll do number one. Mm -hmm. Christianity is political. Yeah. And if you guys want to refer to one of our previous episodes on um, politics as a Christian in the reformed tradition, we cover this in great detail, but in one sense, Christianity is political in the sense that we look towards the future true politic of Christ and being under his sovereignty. In another sense, it is not political, where we are strangers and sojourners, as First Peter talks about in this planet. Um, we live for the common good, and the temporary church on this world is under the sovereignty of Christ. And politics or civil government is under the sovereignty of Christ, where I think when that gets confused is where it is rightly objected that it is political. But I think a correct reform interpretation is it is not political in the civil sense. And we unpacked that really well with an entire pretty much hour dedicated to this yeah. topic on politics. So please listen yep. to that one. Uh, number two, everyone believes the same thing. Yeah, I, I guess in the <laughs> foundational sense, we do. Um, we believe that Christ died for our sins according to the gospel, that we sinned, we disobeyed the law, and he obeyed it on our behalf. But if it's um, we believe some weird things, then that is on incorrect interpretations of the Bible or lack of interpretation of the Bible, or if it's related to those outside of Christians and those who are Christians as well, um, it is, I, I think it's, it's a, and this can sound harsh, it's a lack of historical understanding and a lack of religious understanding as well. 
Um, it's, it's honestly just, it's read more, read carefully, and you'll see massive differences between different religions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the denominations differ on theology. Um, we could be totally on the same page with salvation, but we just interpret it um, uh, theology a little, little slightly different. Um, if you go back to some of our more um, niche, maybe understandings on the Reformed doctrine would probably be kind of like end times. Yep. Um, what, which other episodes would be more niche? Yeah, end times, I think the fall, we have a slightly different understanding as some okay. other denominations or Christians. Um, but even think across religious lines, um, everyone thinks like, oh, you all, you all kind of believe in the same God and to be a good person. And that's where we touch it <coughs> in uh, moralism. Um, that it's not covenants. about being a good person, it's about being a saved person. Yeah, and then the covenants episode that can yep, covenants, yep, absolutely. Um, and just how we practice worship and do sacraments and baptism that that can kind of differ from one denomination to another. Oh, yeah, massively, totally. Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, the foundational thing you can call yourself Christian if you believe in jesus christ and trust him as your lord and savior and follow him yeah uh, that right there we're all in the same family um number three it's illogical and anti-science yeah i think i think this one again uh, these are fair criticisms on and again this may sound harsh on kind of broad evangelicalism where it has become uh where genesis one through three is scientific it is speaking of scientific things versus what we talk about in the fall it's more of an apologetic where moses is writing this and telling the israelites those creation stories you hear outside of israel that's not true i'm telling you there is one god god created all things out of nothing and this is the purpose for his creation versus saying that it was done in six literal days. And again, we can be wrong on this stuff. And there's there's room in the faith for this as well, an open-handed issue. Um, but the Bible, in a strict sense, does not answer scientific questions in that specific realm. It is designed specifically to answer, as the end of Luke and John talk about, to prove that Jesus is the Christ and that he has died for our sins, which hmm. science can't answer that question because science does not attempt to answer that question. They do observable realities versus spiritual, supernatural realities. Those are not in conflict. And a scientist who knows his stuff will say that those are not in conflict either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'd refer you back to episode one, which was more the history of the Bible, and then yeah. three, how to read the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's always fun and happy. Yeah, that's that qualifier, always. It is maybe sometimes fun and happy, but that is absolutely not the case for the, the martyrs of the faith. And um, it can be fun and happy. I think there are parts of the service, the worship service on Sunday mornings, uh, that are fun in the sense we experience community, we experience fellowship. Um, but I think it depends on are you, like, what is your definition of fun? What is your definition of happy? And why does it have to be always? And I think that's where, unfortunately, the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth have really 
been a detriment to faith, um, mm. making the end the uh, the prosperity and not the Lord of all being our end. Mm -hmm. Well, and we're got to remember we're on this side of heaven. We're still yeah. in a fallen world, even though we've been justified and we're currently being sanctified. Mm -hmm. uh, we are still on this side of heaven, not glorified yet. Uh, mm -hmm. And there is a lot of still pain, suffering, and sin in the world that we're just one else. I mean, we, if anything, like we said in earlier episodes, we experience maybe sin even, we're even more maybe sensitive to it. Yeah. We're not friends with it. And so, yeah, just if you go to church long enough, um, you'll realize the, the, the church is kind of like a hospital. Like you don't mm -hmm. go in the Bible, like you, the hospital is there for sick people. And yeah. not saying if you're not sick, you don't need to go to church. It's just saying like we're all sick. And mm -hmm. so we're all dead. We need to go there for spiritual healing. And Jesus really is our doctor. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, I mean, it's even beyond sickness. It is, we are dead under the ground. And Christ is the resurrector because of his obedience. Mm -hmm. So you'll see in church a lot of people that, um, are open and vulnerable and talk about painful stuff that's going on in their life. And that's where they're finding truth and healing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it solves all your problems. Yeah. It solves the ultimate problem. That's for darn sure. Where yep. it solves our obedience problem. Um, yeah. If it's, it solves your financial problems, if it solves your, marital or relationship problems your financial problems that's not the focus of the gospel the focus of the gospel is um your sinfulness in front of a holy god and how do those two things become one mm -hmm. so again i think these are fair i do think these are fair criticisms of a, of a lot of christianity a lot of kind of surfacey christianity um, which is where a lot of these come from versus kind of the thickness and the depth of reformed theology. So yeah, I'd refer back to the uh, moralism episode, the salvation episode. Yeah. Um, and I think like also remembering the two kingdom viewpoint that we're going to still experience issues and problems in this fallen world. Yeah, not in heaven yet. So no, you're not gonna. It's very clear if you read the Bible that people that follow God aren't like free of issues and and suffering. It's very clear opposite that like you will experience suffering. Mm -hmm. So um, next number six, it causes prosperity. Yeah, I mean if you're talking about spiritual prosperity, if you're talking about prosperity of being in the presence of the holy sovereign god then yeah that's pretty prosperous as a as a believer but if it's financial or anything else it's what is the end result what is the end goal and that is prosperity of our communion with the holy god and experiencing his riches of righteousness mm -hmm. not necessarily again i'm not disputing um certain facets but it is not towards prosperity of material things 
Yeah, and I would say if you want to um, watch a helpful documentary, we've mentioned this before, the American Gospel documentary. Yeah. It will kind of uh, help distinguish the difference between what we kind of call the health and wellness or prosperity type of gospel churches and what would be more biblical focused Christianity. Yep, absolutely. Uh, number seven, the community is morally superior. Yeah, and I, I do think of probably all of them, this is the most appropriate and I think the most um, fair assessment of the current state of the church, where it comes across, a lot of people do come across as morally superior, um, where Christianity becomes becoming perfect or putting on a good face. In front of uh, in front of other people, putting it under Sunday best, versus it, like you said, it's a it's a hospital. It is the temporary meeting place before the eternal home of of those who've denounced or renounced or said that they have no righteousness righteousness of their own, and so they take on the righteousness of Christ given to them. And so there's no moral superiority. If anything, there's um, I am a sinner yet. I am a saint because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. And that, that leads to humility. Mm -hmm. And I guess we could refer back to the moralism episode mm -hmm. again, right there. Okay. So that wrapped up the seven misconceptions of Christianity by relevant magazine. Um, those were the questions from them. They were not the answers. So if um, to all due respect to them, if you want to hear their own answers, you could, Google that and, and see what they say, but this is just, I use that and um, to find the questions and then, yeah. you know, more like what you, Peter, would answer to. Uh, choice, Peter, do you want me to jump right into the other list of questions or take a quick little break for you in the audience and maybe... Uh, uh, answer one or two things about apologetics and kind of go back and forth. To yeah, let's do some apologetics. Okay, cool. Break it up. Okay, so apologetics, again, it's not us saying sorry, we're Christian. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a defense of Christianity against objections. Yep. Legal defense. Mm -hmm. um, the most modern reference I can think of is the late and great Ravi Zacharias. Yep. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately, this year. Um, and just such a great human being. If you, if you YouTube some of his videos, uh, he's just gifted with how mm -hmm. he speaks. Um, I got a question for you about apologetics. Did it, um, what is the reformed official statement or answer to apologetics? If any. Yeah, there's, there's a couple schools of thought you'll hear and this kind of gets into the weeds of philosophy, but you'll hear <laughs> about presuppositionalism, and that comes from a, a, an apologist originally from Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia named Cornelia, Cornelius Van Til. And so the kind of the further and further you get into Reformed theology, you'll hear that name pointed out pretty often, and that's presuppositional, where you're assuming a certain worldview based off the gospel, and then building up your defense from that. There's another school of thought, classical apologetics. Uh, this comes originally from Thomas Aquinas in like 1200s. I think he's 12, 
1220-ish to 1270-ish. Uh, and then this was kind of readopted and used by R.C. Sproul, um, who died in 2017, and then a couple of other theologians. And this one's more of like a, the, the classical defense where you're using reasoning and logic, using current scientific theory, you're current, using uh, what they call Aristotelian logic, which is um, kind of a point-by-point -point defense of the faith. Um, there's a couple other methods, but those are the two probably best known based off the theologians. Um, I don't follow kind of a, a certain school of thought. I'm not no school of thought, but I, I take what I like and what I think is most relevant or most defendable from both of those schools of thought. So I've, I've read most of those apologetic works from them. And then my professor in seminary, Dr. Horton, um, kind of dibbles and dabbles between different philosophies and apologetics. So I'll take some of the stuff that he's used as well. So you'll see people, like most people would say, Reformed theology falls with Van Til. Um, but there's no official statement from Reformed people. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say it started, the apologetics started with the Apostle Paul, and should we go to his letters in Scripture to best answer this, addressing the most common objections? I think he applied uh, a, a, a bo both a natural and a spiritual worldview and a Christian worldview, especially if you look at Mars Hill and Acts 17. And then some in Galatians, um, I don't think necessarily he gives us an apologetic uh, mandate or idea. I think he applies what we've talked about before, natural law to certain circumstances, and then heaven or spiritual law to other circumstances as well. Mm. Um, but I mean, you can say the entirety of the Bible is an apologetic against certain re religions and philosophies. And... That was taken up kind of our first, I guess, like self-identified apology was uh, Justin Martyr in the mid-2nd century who, who wrote a couple apologetic works against a, a Jewish person and against an atheist. And there's a lot of stuff we get from him. And then Augustine in the late 300s, early 400s, um, Thomas Aquinas, and then some Reformed theologians in the 16th and 17th centuries up until... 19th century and 20th century with Sproul and Francis Schaeffer and Cornelius Van Til. And like you said, Ravi Zacharias is a couple of people who've, who've extended this as well. Good, good. Uh, what I'm going to do is that was our little break of dosages about uh, apologetics. And I will take breaks when I feel like we need a, a breather from the rapid fire questions and then because yeah. i got i got a bunch of really cool quotes from ravi that um i can use as kind of maybe like a one of our like little commercial breaks in between these these uh questions yeah um, just in case you start feeling uh mentally fatigued and you need a breather never uh, i know you're you're insane you, you read like a book a day are you still doing i read that? a lot yeah um, the next list, uh, is from faithfacts.org and it's on the common misconceptions of Christianity. Again, I Googled it and, and found it. Uh, I didn't do huge research on who they are or anything like that. I just found that these sound pretty normal questions 
that can be addressed. And again, like the other one, uh, you can click the link and see what they answer. But I'll yeah. just go through these and see what you say. So number one, Christianity is a blind faith. Nope. You'll hear a lot of people say, take that leap of faith, take that blind leap of faith and trust in Jesus. And it is absolutely not a blind leap. It is 100% historically grounded. And we've talked about that within our first couple episodes. Uh, Bible is the most historically verified text in the history of the world. And that is verifiable. You can look that up. I've, we've shown that in the first episode, second episode, and third episode. Mm. And the verifiability of Christ's birth and his death um, and his resurrection are verified both in the Bible and a couple what's called extant sources, which are just not biblical in the sense that they were not written in the Bible. But it's, I mean, the, the research is out there. What happened in the Bible actually legitimately really did happen. Mm -hmm. And if it didn't happen, like Paul said, if this is not historically grounded, why on earth are we following a fake savior? Mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful that we somehow had this be our very last episode. Yeah. That wasn't always like the initial plan in the very beginning when we we're kind of trying to figure, figure out themes. So it makes it so much easier because we can keep being like, refer to this episode. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like we've done a lot of work on the previous 14 episodes. Yeah. And I, I think there's some fear from Christians to go to history versus just mm -hmm. the Bible. But I mean, history will complement the Bible because the Bible is written historically grounded. Yep. Written by people and inspired by God. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, we get to go to heaven based on how good we are here on earth. Yep, if that were the case, not a soul would be in heaven because that was originally the commandment given to Adam is basically be a good person, do what I tell you to do. And Adam didn't do it. And so mm -hmm. Adam couldn't have done it. I mean, if it was based off being a good person, how much good do you have to have? How much bad are you allowed to have? People say generally we're good people, but if you think about our thoughts, our desires, everything, Everything goes against nature. Everything goes against God's law. And it's, what is that standard? Standard is not another person. Am I good comparatively? The standard is, am I good compared to the ultimate law? And we fail at every single portion, every single statement of the law, continually and perpetually. And that means, nope, good people won't be going to heaven. Redeemed people go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Again... I feel like a broken record. Go back to the moralism episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And go back to the law and gospel episode as well, where yeah. what is the law and why is that so necessary to understand as a Christian? Okay. Um, Christianity is a laundry list of things to do. You know what? Technically, yeah, it is. You're like, again, referring to the law, Christianity is actually a laundry list of things to do there is the 10 commandments in those 613 stipulations based off of the pharisees and their interpretation so it really actually legitimately is a laundry list of things to do but the thing is we didn't do it somebody did it for us and he gave us his obedience and he gave us his righteousness he gave us his record under that law having done all the things that we were supposed to do so yes, Christianity actually is a 
um, a law religion, but it's not the law that we fulfilled. It's a law that was fulfilled for us. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, but then he did it for us. So there's only one thing we need to do. Give our life. Believe. To yeah. It's understanding that we have no righteousness and he has all. Um, so with that one, I'd probably say uh, go to the law and gospel yep. um, episodes and maybe salvation yeah. um, as well. Um, next one. Once we become a Christian, being saved by God's gift of grace, it does not matter what we do. Yeah, in a strict technical sense, that is true. In the sense that if we are in God's grip, he will not let us go. Absolutely. There's no question about it. There's nothing we can do. Um, our work does not prove our faith. Our work is a result of our faith. Mm. And it is if you are redeemed, purchased by Christ, he will continually sanctify you. So even if your outward works don't continually get better, it is your understanding of your sinfulness, your sinful disposition and the holy one that you look towards that does increase. Mm -hmm. um, but you will not lose your salvation if Christ has obeyed for you and the spirit has applied his obedience to you. Mm -hmm. And it's understanding how we are bearing fruits. So yep. in no means does it mean, um, you gotta think carefully about this. It doesn't mean because you have uh, fruits you are proving that you work to get them it's no it's right. that you are growing fruit out of the because you are justified yep absolutely um, yeah. yeah just and I, we said this earlier because you love your wife uh, or anyone else uh, you're not going to try to do things to uh, earn more love it's more of like out of gratitude which is yep word of our podcast uh you do good things so it, it, to answer that question you are right yes um there's nothing we it doesn't really matter what we do after after we're justified however if you're truly justified you're probably not going to turn into like uh like a serial killer or anything yeah yeah uh, and it, but I, I, i'm just saying and i think it's the more we think about this stuff, the more we're worried about it. And that's, that just proves that you have the obedience of Christ on your behalf, because this is something you do think about. And you are worried about your works. You are worried about your obedience and your gratitude. And worrying so much about the fruit is, in a sense, denying the very foundation of your justification and the fact that we are going to struggle against the flesh. We're going to struggle against this present world and you will because Christ works in you, not because you do it, but you will produce good work. But that's because Christ is the one who does it through you. Yeah. You're either a sinner or a saint. Yeah. Sinner outside of Christ, you're pretty much friends with sin. And if you're a saint uh, on this side of heaven, you still sin, but you do not like sin and uh, you don't want to sin against God. So it does not it yeah. be a response that, oh, well, yay, I get to go do whatever I want to do um, in evil things. It's more of, um, yeah. So hopefully you guys understand that part. Yep. That should be uh, probably salvation, probably episode. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay, next one. There are many ways to heaven, many paths to God. There is one way to heaven, and I mean, technically speaking, no paths to God from ourselves. Right. God reaches through the spirits, regenerates our heart, and gives us the obedience, and obedience is what grants us heaven. Faith is the outworking of that new heart, of that regeneration, which is just that new heart. And so there is only one path to heaven because the path to heaven is obedience. The path to heaven is holiness and perfection. That's it. And we need perfection in order to enter. And perfection only comes through Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the law and gospel episodes, maybe even the covenant one, uh, pretty much all of them really have been answering that. Mm-hmm. Um, next, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Nope, and I, I think we touched this one pretty specifically on salvation. It is not the intensity of our faith, it's the object of our faith. It is faith of a mustard seed, the tiniest infinitesimal part of faith in the perfect Redeemer is what saves. Mm-hmm. Not how hard you believe. Is who you believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, number seven, the New Testament was written long after the book, right long after the events took place and are thus subject to legends being inserted into text. Yeah, I'll spark note this, but we, I mean, we, we, uh, like I'll just use the term, we slammed this in our first episode. Um, we put that one to rest. It's, you have to understand first century what we call scribal practices and it's just people who wrote down who copied text after text because the printing press didn't come until 14 1500 a.d but previous to then people were professionally trained rigorously trained on how to copy text and their memory was infinitely better than our memory was and so they memorized texts like we I mean, like we, like we save things on our phone, like we save documents on our computer. That's, their memory is that fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it's not a game of telephone, unlike what people have probably heard before, where one person tells another person and that person tells another person and the story at the 20th person is different from the story at the first person. These were professional memorizers and scribes. And so they, when they messed up, like we said, their messing up was switching two words Instead of saying, he said, it would be like, said he. So it changes nothing of the text. It's like, those are the kinds of mistakes that they made. Mm -hmm. And the earliest gospel that we have written was written about 90 years after the resurrection of Christ. And the next closest um, book and documents was probably the Iliad or the Odyssey. And the closest manuscript we have to that one is about a thousand years after. Uh, and no one questions the reliability of the Odyssey or Iliad. Right. Um, next one, the Bible has been changed or is otherwise not true and it's to its original manuscripts. No, this is, this is uh, scholars, this is critical scholars, liberal scholars, or people who want to destroy the Bible. That's when they say there are over 400,000 corrections. We talked about this in the first episode. It's not what they're saying. That's what they don't say. And it's 
those corrections tend to be, like I said, it's you switch two words around. Again, like saying Paul said, the manuscript, other manuscripts would say, said Paul. Changes nothing about the meaning, nothing about the contents. Um, I think something, I forget the, it's uh, uh, Bill Metzger in his book on textual change in the New Testament says we have roughly 99.99% of exactly the words that the apostle said. We have 6,000 manuscripts. It's like, we have the words and we have them in the text. And it just depends on, is there a punctuation mark there? Is a break in the text here? But in terms of what the manuscript says, we have it. Number nine, the Bible cannot be trusted because of all the miracle stories. Yeah, this, this didn't hit until about the 18th century. Um, this is what's called German higher criticism. And a lot of our contemporary critical scholars learn from people who learn from these German higher critics. And they come with this, what's this, this word called presupposition, which is you come with this assumption prior to coming to the text. And their assumption is the spiritual world does not exist. And if you bring up the spiritual world, it means you're not a true historian. And that taking that presupposition on the text, that it makes sense that miracle stories show that it's not a historical text. But it's not taking, again, into account the context which the Israelites lived in. That's, that is how cultures wrote. And again, we don't do the same thing to other stories. And it's because this story has a God who obeys for us and tells us about sin and tells us to repent. Um, that changes things a lot. But... When you ask a lot of these scholars to provide some of their evidence, there's nothing. And I've read the books that these guys come out with. Um, big guy, Julius Wellhausen, and then another one, Bart Ehrman, a couple other people um, from this critical school where you ask them for these documents, and it's pure conjecture. They have nothing backing it up. Yeah, and I, I think, again... This, these last like consecutive questions have been really hammered on the first episode. Yeah. Uh, maybe as well as the third episode, how to read the Bible. Yep. And the context, because a lot of things get misunderstood when totally understand how to read it. Uh, number 10, and then I'm going to take a little breather. I think yep. like 10, 10 of them and then take a breather. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Bible conflicts with science. Nope, and this has to do with either miracle stories, <clears throat> Jonah and the whale, or Noah's Ark, um, crossing the Red Sea, Jesus walking on water, um, or the creation story. Usually the creation story is hit on the hardest, and it's science trumps the Bible, but science actually doesn't trump the Bible. What happens in those cases is science is trumping a particular interpretation of the Bible, and uh, an interpretation doesn't have to accord with science um it is we see science in a physical aspect describing the physical universe it does not touch miracles uh, that is an, as a supernatural spiritual thing versus miracles being we believe in a sovereign lord who doesn't obey the laws of nature he is the one who ordained and created the laws of nature and so if he wants to do what he wants to do, and that's how he performs miracles. Mm. And it's what's your presupposition coming into the text. Are you denying the spiritual realm or are you affirming the spiritual realm? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think the first three episodes, we hit that pretty hard. Um, but I think we answer a lot of that uh, throughout all our episodes in one way or another. Yep. Um, question number 11. Mm-hmm. Christianity must be false because evolution is true. Yeah, and you ask, again, any scientist uh, following under Darwinian theory or macroevolution, and it still is technically a theory. It's not provable really in any concrete sense that macroevolution is true. And macroevolution is one species turning into or morphing or through a series of adaptations turning into another species. And Darwin, when he wrote his Origin of the Species, was not trying to refute Christian theism. What he was trying to show was there is a, an adaptation of species to perform certain tasks that it originally could not perform. So a bird lengthening its beak to catch a berry a little bit higher above it. Um, or something increasing the size of his neck or lengthening his neck so it can reach higher up into the branches to catch some fruit, which that's technically microevolution. That is adaptation of certain aspects of the body or certain aspects of the DNA to make sure that things are easier or more um, doable for a certain species. But um, technically, there has been no conclusive proof evolution is a thing, and there is room and there is evidence of micro or adaptation evolution within the bible and that's that's allowable that's that's something we can use we can we can work in scripture that's allowed in scripture mm. we discussed that a good chunk in the fall episode yeah. episode four yeah and especially our reformed interpretation of the creation of the world and not negating God through the word by the agency of the spirit creating everything out of nothing so there is room for a poetic or a, like a metaphorical or elusive understanding or interpretation of the creation of the world but that's not negating the fact that the world was truly created by Yahweh um, but it was more of a poetic uh, apologetic device against those surrounding cultures and we specifically touched on that, uh, that evolution, if it was true and Adam was evolved and not created, it's harder to uh, make that direct correlation of the fall to us. Yeah, I, mean, I would intensify that. It's impossible to make. Impossible, yeah. yeah so There's no connection between sin and Adam in that scheme. Sin becomes a decision second to second versus what you were born in. Right. Um, next, the Bible promotes slavery. No, and that's this. I think this is um, this is a hard question, especially right now with a lot of tension going on and um, cultural history kind of understanding and, and seeing where we've been and where we're going towards. Um, but we have to understand, again, this is, this is uh, pretty exclusively uh, how to read your Bible stuff. This is what is the context Israelites were living in. And 
what kind of slavery was it? Was it a uh, indentured servitude? Was it one person taking another person and then making them their servants, um, creating harsh conditions and viewing them as other, viewing them as, as not human? Uh, in Israel, the one that's only uh, commended by Yahweh is when somebody needed to work or to pay off debts is generally the one that's proposed within the Old Testament. Um, or slaves in the Old Testament were ones who actually walked up, who said, I need a job, I need to find something, or I'm switching industries, whatever it may be, and if you can think in your own kind of context. And they walked at somebody who was really good at what they did, and says, I want to do what you do, let me be under you. And in that culture, they were considered a slave or a servant. But we have a very different understanding of what that is today. Uh, the Bible condemns slavery in no uncertain terms. And we see that in Philemon in the New Testament, one of those smaller letters from Paul uh, written to a slave owner. And it's not the slave owner that we think of today. Mm. But they do talk about slaves, real legitimate slaves in the Old Testament, and they are condemned. But we can't take our current interpretation of slavery and place that on what the Bible says is slavery. That's two very different contexts. Exactly. I'm glad that we were able to cover that one because that is a dangerous and very false misunderstanding. Yeah, it's just you have to understand Israeli context in 15th century BC, and that's a hard topic to study unless you've read some books and done research on that stuff. But it's, it's knowing that context and seeing what did it mean back then and what does it mean now. Yeah, so in other words, they back then we're getting paid it's almost yep. like us as workers getting paid yep. um and then every and you got to understand the jubilee yep uh, every seven years they were free to go get you know they're not yeah they were they were imaging sabbath they're imaging sabbath rest seven six years of work and seventh year of freedom and that is actually a very misquoted, misunderstood verse in the Bible talking about how slaves need to uh, submit to their master kind of thing. And it's, that it's literally worker or boss. Yeah, it's so dangerously taken out of context. So, yeah. um, yes, no, no slave in the way that we know slave uh, in recent history. Yeah, at least not commended and affirmed uh, in the instances that there is what well, our, our um, current idea understanding of slavery is today that is condemned in scripture cool yeah i don't think uh we we want to make that as clear as possible yep. um, the bible demonizes women no if there's any text and what we call antiquity, so just old texts. Any text that uplifts women higher than scripture, I haven't heard of it. Right. Um, that's most texts that you read pre, probably five or 600 AD was patriarchal in the sense that it was men. And that was, that was it. Men were testimonies. Men were witnesses. Men owned land. And you look at scripture, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, what episode was it? Maybe one is when we're uh, talking about even more proof that God cares about women equally. Oh, yeah. 
uh, is that when they, the first witnesses of the resurrection, oh, it was the resurrection one. Yeah. Episode two, that they were the first witnesses of Jesus's body being re resurrected. Yeah, that goes against the grain of the entirety of literature up until that point. Nobody did that up until the Bible. Mm -hmm. God uh, talks about how, I mean, he loves women. Uh, oh, yeah. Is created women, um, and so women equal Joyce. Um, yeah, dignity equal dignity equal image. Everything mm -hmm. different roles, but equal in everything. Yes, that's um, we want to make that clear. Like we are created equally uh, in every aspect. Yes, uh, I think a lot of people mischaracterize thinking that men are somehow created to be greater uh yeah. oh we just have different roles yep that's it that's it um number 14 the bible is simply out of date given the strange rules the jews had to follow yeah and this this what i would go to um episode we talked about how to read the bible and those were very strange rules. Those are very far out of our context. This is 3,500 years previous to us now, and all the temple stuff can sound really strange to us, and the clothes that they're allowed to wear. But we have to ask ourselves, as we're reading this, how do New Testament authors understand this, especially Hebrews, because Hebrews goes into the sacrificial system, goes into every single rule that the Jews had to follow, in the temple and pointed towards this is what it pointed towards this is who fulfilled sacrificial system being the ultimate sacrifice himself and so taking out of the context of new testament and just looking at it in and of itself and what we call an atomistic interpretation which is if you think of adam it's the smallest portion so you just look at the words themselves and see what they mean it seems out of date but understanding what it points towards it is the most relevant for us Christians now because it, it broadens and it deepens and it, um, it helps our love and our, our understanding for what Christ has done for us. Uh, we're going to do one more and then take another break. I think I sh I'm going to shorten it from 10 to 5. Time. Cool. Uh, next one. The God of the Bible is immoral. Yeah, he's the most moral yeah. being person in existence, and we're the immoral ones. And what comes across as immoral is, again, people who have an incorrect or improper understanding of righteousness or of human sin or of human goodness. And it's, we are not good in and of ourselves. And again, our standard is not another person. Our standard is righteousness. Who created that righteousness and who is that righteous one? And that is Yahweh, and we see that in Christ, and that's applied to us by the Spirit. But all those quote-unquote moral acts are Yahweh judging people who need to be judged, and we need to be judged. But we were not judged. We were given mercy, and we were given obedience. Um, so it's he was not immoral. It just comes across because we have a higher view of ourselves than we should. Yeah, that... that misconception couldn't be more couldn't not be more false i mean yeah. we're, we're immoral he's perfect yep. eternally perfect he has to judge us or else he's immoral if he doesn't judge he's unrighteous there we go i like that 
Um, cool. So let's go to number 16. The Bible does not permit the charging of interest. Um, I've heard this one before, and I think this one's close to like taxing and stuff. And it's, I would refer pretty exclusively to our um, two kingdom um, politics episode where we have to, again, differentiate between laws given to Israel. And I think stuff that this is probably referring to Proverbs. I think Proverbs talks about um, not taking on loans or debts. And again, it's context, context, context. What is it speaking about? What is the purpose of this? Um, what portion of scripture does this fall in? And is this given to Israel as what we call a theocracy, a ruled under the sovereignty of Yahweh in a specific civil sense or in a governmental sense? Uh, or is it given to natural law, which this is how governments in general spanning time should be run? And so we have to differentiate between those two things because the Bible doesn't take a stance on charging of interest in the natural law way. Mm. Okay. Uh, number 17, I can be a Jesus-only Christian. Uh, what I think that might mean is that you don't need to go to church. You don't need to do anything other than just kind of believe in Jesus and pray on your own. That's probably what I think they're mm. saying. Yeah, not- or you don't need church or, yeah, you don't need community. But it's, again, we have to see um, how God has set up the church, how God has set up salvation, how God has set up redemption. And we're told explicitly in Hebrews do not neglect the fellowship of believers. Do not neglect the gathering of fellow believers. And it's we need the preaching of the word from the pastor. We need the sacraments given to us as visible representations of that spiritual reality. And we need the discipline both for our good to upbuild us, to edify us, and also to correct us when we're, when we're wandering the path. Mm-hmm. And we need Jesus applied in prayer. We need Jesus applied in preaching. And we need Jesus applied in praising in, in all those various various ways. We need others to help. Um, yeah, I mean, I was dumb enough and a long time ago, ignorant enough to think that, um, I even said this to myself, but uh, I have enough faith I don't need to go to church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually said that before. And looking back now, I'm like, that was kind of a foolish statement because going to church kind of helped sanctify me and help my faith. Um, without community and church and people around me, I would not, well, think about me and you, like our conversations, I, there's no way I would like be learning as much. So yeah, same here. Well, I'm just the one asking questions. You're the one that knows all this stuff pretty much. Yeah, but it's not from me. It's from people who are teaching me. Yeah. Um, Christianity is about being financially prosperous. Yeah. If you talk to prosperity gospel preachers, yes, it is about being prosperous, but they're misconstruing again, either laws given to Israel or they're misconstruing Proverbs 
they're misconstruing a couple portions of the Gospels uh, or Paul. And no, prosperous in the sense that we are given the riches of the righteousness of Christ. That's prosperous because that's eternal. But money's temporary. Yeah, uh, and I think it's pretty easy to see that there are people living in third world countries that are much bigger faith and and definitely Christian uh, more than a lot of people living in um, beautiful areas, you know, that have everything into them. If anything, having everything might make it where you feel less of a need for God. And um, yeah, so um, I mean, some of the fastest growing countries in Christianity are developing countries. It's true. So um, most Christians think favorably of televangelists. I don't know. I, I can see actually an argument that, yes, I think a majority of Christians I don't know the percentage. I think a lot of them do think favorably of televangelists or else the ministry wouldn't be as big as it is. And so I can see um, churches that are not pushing doctrine and pushing right thinking of the gospel of Christ, submitting all to Christ. I can see, I can see this being potentially true, but I don't have enough demographic study to know for sure. Uh Tickling ears. What? What'd you say? It's tickling ears. Whatever prosperity gospel's doing, it's it feels good. Oh, got it. Uh, we're hoping that it tickles their ear enough to kind of that would be just maybe an introduction point, and then not rely just on that and you know join a church to learn more or something. Open your yeah. crack open your Bible and learn more. Um. Next, Christianity is different by insisting that the, its claims are exclusive. I, I think this is very true. Um, its claims are very exclusive in the sense that it we propound to have the true Savior, the true righteousness, um, the truest representation of our religion within the Bible. Um, so I think we are, it maybe it means inclusive, but I can, I can agree with it being exclusive. Absolutely. We're inclusive where we welcome everybody, but we're yeah. exclusive in our doctrine of salvation. And, uh, I think no matter exclusive, uh, is, I think everyone's exclusive. If, if, if you're not, you know, part of a religion, you are, you have a religion, even if yep. you're not a church and by you saying that uh christianity is too exclusive is an exclusive comment in itself yep so that's kind of a nullified comment where we're all exclusive (laughs) if that makes sense um cool let's and, and i mean ravi Going back to him, he's actually one of the first quotes that I read. Yeah, he talks about how it is exclusive, mm-hmm. justifiably so. Okay, cool. So, quick break. We'll read another quote from him. Um, 
A man rejects God neither because of intellectual demands nor because of the scarcity of evidence. A man rejects God because of a moral resistance that refuses to admit his need for God. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. It's mainly good because I also didn't butcher it by reading it. <laughs> it's easier to, easier to listen to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um cool uh the next question evangelical christians take everything in the bible literally and literally in the sense that it's all factual yes mm -hmm. um literal in the sense that we should take everything that has historical narrative which i think is what most people think by literal then no right. um yeah, usually get like, oh, why aren't you taking Revelation literally to literally talk about literal things that are literally going to happen? Then they're usually talking about historical occurrences versus you have to let the speaker speak for himself and tell you how to understand his writing. And I would go back to how to read your Bible for this. Yep. Um, and also... Yeah, mainly how to read your Bible, episode three, but also um, episode one, too. Yep. Uh, okay, next one. Christians are not supposed to judge. Yeah, this one's, this one's kind of hard because this is based off Matthew 7, and it's true. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not supposed to judge. Um, there is an ultimate judge. But, I, I mean, I, I don't really know how to take it other than, like, there's, there's fruit of certain people we can call to repentance and repentance does not mean that you're judging somebody it's you are pointing to a standard that you and the person you're talking to both fall under and repentance just says you need the obedience of somebody else to cover for your lack of obedience that's not judgment that's just like there is something outside of me that i'm pointing towards but i think that can be misconstrued as judgment yeah, and I think we might have talked about in Salvation episode, um, yeah. but we're not allowed to judge in the sense that we we don't know who's saved or not, or who will be saved and who not. So yep. you have to approach everyone like they could be saved, and so yeah. we know we have no idea, and it's we're we don't save people. We just help talk to people about our Father that created everybody and his truths and his uh instruction for living um but yeah to your point like if we know somebody to help a brother or sister out if they're like blatantly sinning and especially not even repenting like about it we could lovingly talk to them but it's not a harsh uh giving them the stink eye kind of uh overbearingly judgmental thing it's comes all in the approach of love yep it's supposed to it's supposed to so um that's how you should feel it and that's how you should approach it um okay next one all christians believe that the earth is less than ten thousand years old <laughs> i yeah i think uh, i mean i don't know but i think a lot of christians think this okay um i personally i mean i kind of played my cards when we talked about the fall i personally don't think the earth is less than ten thousand years old i don't know the age of the earth 
could be a million, it could be a hundred thousand, could be ten billion. I have no idea. Um, again, I don't think the Bible is answering this, and this comes from uh, what's been generally regarded as a pretty bad interpretation of the gene genealogies in scripture by Bishop Usher in the 1700s, where he took them and calculated it up, but didn't realize that genealogies don't actually catch every single generation. Um, they're used very specifically in scripture to show kingship and land ownership, not necessarily lineage. Yeah, and I think it, questions like this, you should always kind of answer in, in a, or think of it in a way is, does this truly change my salvation? Yep. You know, I was like, whether the earth is 10,000 years old or t uh, 10 billion does that change anything about salvation in Jesus? No. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's generally thought of like, oh, if you don't believe in young earth, then you don't believe that God created out of nothing. But I don't think those two things are inclusive of each other. Okay. Uh, Christianity copied from pagan or other religions. Yeah, this comes from... Um, a, a book by Walter Bauer called Harrison Orthodox. And I th think this was written in the 1930s. And he says that's basically what he calls orthodoxy. So what we believe as Christians won out in 300 or 400 AD and was more politically powerful than the unorthodox or the heretics. But he says the heretics, which are the Gnostics who believe that only spirit's real and the body is fake or the body is not real, that they actually preceded Christians and that they're actually what the disciples and apostles believed. But because the Orthodox, the ones who believe that Christ had a true body and was truly divine, um, that they had more political power, so they won and they got to put their books, what we see now in the Bible, as the gospel. But that's not what happened. And I think it's very, very ably refuted by Dr. Michael Kruger from Reform Seminary in Charlotte in his book, Heresy um, as Orthodoxy, or Heresy as a New Orthodoxy, whatever the title is. And I, I referenced that book in episode one, and I put that one to the show notes. And so you guys can read that one. Um, but it's very ably refuted because it is rather historically ignorant, and it does not take into consideration what we call the apostolic fathers, so not the apostles themselves, but the fathers. So the kind of the first and second century church fathers. So that's, that's, that's where I, I think reformed people stand on this issue. Yeah. And I've commonly heard from hardcore skeptics or atheists um, that even the Christian holiday was from a pagan hall, which, you know, it is, it is. Like, we know Christmas that, but is technically pagan and Easter yeah. is technically pagan and stuff, but. So they kind of like say how the, the Christian religion is, is made up and they blame and they throw the whole baby out with the bathwater because of that one part where we just replaced a date of December 25th with Christmas as was Jesus really born on December 25th? Probably not. <laughs> no, as best as we know, he was born sometime in the spring. Yeah. Probably closer to my birthday in April. So that's pretty. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's 
most best guess, but nobody's right. super sure. Yeah, and again, does it go? It goes back to does that change salvation? Does yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's because there was. I think there was four different major calendars used at that time, and so people had different calendars within the same document, and so we just some of them we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. Next, Jesus is not mentioned anywhere in history outside the Bible. This one I'm not terribly sure of. I haven't read every other um, kind of text outside of it. I've heard there are references to like a Jesus sect and other portions. Um, The apostles are for sure mentioned outside of the gospels. Uh, One of the most famous letters outside of the gospels that we have is from a guy named Pliny the Younger, and he's writing to a Roman emperor, Trahan, and he's speaking, this is sometime in the early hundreds, I think it's 110, 112, and he's speaking about these Christians um, who are being persecuted and what he should do, and he knew Polycarp, and Polycarp was, was born in like 60 AD, and Polycarp was very close to John the Apostle, And if anything, we would have seen some break between John the Apostle, Polycarp, and Pliny the Younger, but we don't. And so Mm. our our best guess is because, I mean, we would have seen some things that this is not legitimate, that Christ was not resurrected. Um, And the Gospels pull no punch about it. And this is assuming, I think, too, at a baseline, that other documents outside of the Bible are more authoritative on Jesus' resurrection than the Bible is. And the Bible is the authoritative text because it's been proven over and over and over and over again, historically. And so we have to take the gospel accounts as true, pure history versus looking outside to make sure that the gospels are correct. Yeah, and he he is a proven historical figure. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at the Quran, he's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also in historical documents through Roman documents, uh, talks about Pontius Pilate. Yeah, there's no question that Jesus lived. Yes, and... The so, conjecture is, was he raised? Not right. that he lived. Right, it's very... So to answer that question, he is definitely mentioned outside of the Bible and history. He's a historical figure, so that one's pretty easy. And... um that kind of jumps right to the I'll just go to the the more of the resurrection one mm-hmm. um, since you mentioned it so Christianity copied resurrection myths from other religions nope we did not that I know that's some other people say it, but again, it's not reading the documents well, um, not reading other religions well and the apologetic and historical value of our scripture above all. Oh yeah, and I was gonna mention with the earlier question too, the history of Jesus. Uh, is it true that in the Bible, that is the earliest recorded mention of Jesus? So anything talking about Jesus outside the Bible was after, was... Oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's by far the earliest. I mean, it was so written... Like, yeah, the first thing, I think Paul's letter is written first. Paul, Paul or James? I think maybe James is written first. Um, but those are written in like the mid-40s AD. 
which is about 10 years after Christ's resurrection. Uh, that's mm. by far the closest thing that we have. And our manuscripts Mark. from those times are from 150, 200 AD, but we know that their witness is from about 45 AD. Well, and we mentioned too in the first episode, like Mark, first gospel, that was really close to that time too. Yeah, Mark was written sometime between 65 and 75 AD. So the point is, uh, any mention, the first time ever anyone's ever talked or recorded anything about Jesus is in the Bible. Oh, yeah. So it's not like someone else outside the Bible talked about him and then the Bible decided to, oh, we should plug him in here. So, no. And I mean, it's, there's potential that somebody else wrote about Jesus, but it just didn't survive until the, now. And so there's, there's no canonical or biblical reference besides what we have. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then I got four more for you. Okay, cool. um, another quote from Ravi. I am thoroughly convinced that when the last chapter of humanity is written, we will find that the implications of atheism, i.e. with living without God, if consistently carried through, will have made life plainly unlivable within the limits of reason or even common sense. Hmm. Cool. Um, okay, four more, and then we'll go, then we'll talk more quickly about Tim Keller. Cool. Um, Christ will return in his old human body to rule the world from a literal throne in Jerusalem for a literal thousand years. Yeah, I would, I mean, probably stay silent and just say, hey, listen to our End Times um, podcast on this and how to read Revelation. But no, he will not. As far as we know, our interpretation, he will not. And I, the next question is the Bible predicts the end of the world. So that's going to be like the same thing. Refer to the End Times episode five, I think. Yes. Um, Christians are hypocritical because they ignore the death penalty for sin as prescribed in Leviticus. Yeah, this is, again, people need to know how to read the Bible and how to read Leviticus, how to read the law, what is civil in the sense that what. Uh, works for the moral government, what works for natural law, what works for ceremonial, which was given purely and only to Israel as a theocratic nation, as a nation under the specific law and reign of a anointed king or anointed prophet under Yahweh, uh, and what is pedagogical or what is meant to expose our sin. And so it's understanding those three facets. And so when it's talking about stoning or death penalty um, given to Israel as a theocratic nation, as a nation under the rule of Yahweh specifically, uh, no, we are not being hypocritical. Uh, these two are really quick. Um, the New Testament cannot be trusted because it is biased. It for sure is biased, yeah. It is biased to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one who came resurrected, obeyed on our behalf. But mm. that does not mean it's unhistorical. And that has been 
a claim against the Christian faith that because it makes spiritual claims, it cannot be historical. And that is how texts, again, that is how texts were written in that time. We don't write as much like that anymore, but that does not mean the way they wrote back then is any different or any less historical than we write now. Mm -hmm. uh, last one. Christianity has perpetuated evil. I mean, I guess in the sense that somebody can take it wrongly, yeah, it's, and that's like an incorrect interpretation of Christianity can lead towards evil. But true biblical Christianity is telling us that we are evil and that there is one who is good. Cool. Okay, cool. So that was uh, quite a bit of questions. How do you feel, Peter? I feel fabulous. Wow, you just cranked those out. That was that was about thirty or so questions from faithfacts.org. Um, really quickly, um, we are going to go through um, in Tim Keller's book, "The Reason for God." Um, there is a section on the leap of doubt, and he lists seven really uh, good objections that he hears about um most commonly and he answers them very profoundly so uh, if you guys want a good book to read tim keller the reason for god um i'll, I'll list the seven and then we'll kind of quickly just go through them so yeah. number one number one is uh there can't be just one true religion number two how could a good God allow suffering? Number three, Christianity is a straitjacket. Number four, the church is responsible for so much injustice. Number five, how can a loving God send people to hell? Uh, number six, science has disproved Christianity. And number seven, you can't take the Bible literally. So some are going to be way quicker than others to answer. I can already tell. Um, but uh, for the first one, Peter, um, there can't be just one true religion. What is your response on that? Uh, there has to be one true something. There has to be either there is no religion or one of them is true. Yep. And when it comes to one of them is true, we have to look first and foremost to historical reliability. What is the most historically competent and attested documents that we have? And there's absolutely no question that it's the Bible. And then what does the Bible say? And the Bible says that we're sinners under a law. We're condemned. We cannot and we will not experience heaven and righteousness unless we have become righteous. And we get that righteousness through obedience. So you have to talk through those steps and the steps prove unequivocally so just with no doubt that there has to be one and that one has to be christianity uh we talk about that in moralism because that's uh, most commonly these days kind of either a watered down christianity or a uh, altogether another religion yep. <laughs> whether we know it or not and so uh we correct people's understanding of that um is it exclusive yeah is it 
maybe some dogmatic. Uh, yeah, but again, like to your point, we mentioned before, we're talking about truth, and there can be only one truth. And so, um, salvation. Yeah, you can either say there's only one truth, or there is no truth, and one of those claims is incorrect because it's logically inconsistent. Correct. So, with our doctrine, uh, we are putting our best foot forward to be true on all these things. But um, the most important thing, again, going back to salvation, that is like the foundation of the truth there. So we can't mess up on that. Um, quick things he mentions in the book. He says, uh, this under this part, um, what is your biggest problem with Christianity? He, 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 with that question, it's summed up in one word, exclusivity. So people's kind of perception of Christianity is it's too exclusive. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing because everyone is exclusive. We need to, it's, we need to come to the understanding that that's nullified claim. Because um, no matter what you say, if you're living and have a conscience and a, an opinion about something, you're going to be exclusive. Yep. Um, religion is not going away and its power cannot be diminished by government control. He says that. He also says the reality is what we... The reality is that we we all make truth claims of some sort. And that's more exclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, this is an interesting fact that he mentions. Um, most non-Western cultures have no problem saying that their culture and religion is best. Oh, yeah. The idea that it is wrong to do so is deeply rooted in the Western traditions of self-criticism and individualism. Yeah. Um. So yeah, if you go around the world, they're gonna they're not even gonna be embarrassed about it. They're gonna be like, yep, this is the way it is. Uh we we are a little tiptoe a little bit more. Um true. He also says it is no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that one way to think about all religions, namely that all are equal, is right. Correct. We are all exclusive in our beliefs about religion in different ways. So now we can all get to level playing field of understanding that uh, that nobody is not exclusive. Um, cool. Christians also believe that all human beings are made in the image of God, capable of goodness and wisdom. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of good stuff I highlighted in here, but we went through a lot of time, so I don't want to read all of them. Um, but something I really wanted to point out uh, is that God's grace does not come to people who are morally outperform others, but to those who admit their failure to perform and who acknowledge their need for a savior. So humility is key. Mm -hmm. um, the Greco-Roman world religious views were actually open and seemingly tolerant to everyone who had his or her own God. 
So they were actually very uh, non-exclusive in their religions. However, the practices of the culture were quite brutal. A uh, huge difference between the rich and poor. By contrast, Christians insisted that there was only one true God by dying to the, to the dying Savior, Jesus Christ, welcoming those who are culturally marginalized. Um, and long story short, that helped really uh, with um, female persecution, um, persecution of other peoples and minorities. So Christians have actually helped uh, oppose those things in the world in history. Um, so next big question for you, Peter, uh, that he asked in here, how could God, how could a good God allow suffering? Yeah, I, the blanket, I don't know. I have no idea why they're suffering. All I know is all is for the glory of God. I don't know how it's used necessarily, um, but also suffering is a result of our own personal and community sin. And it's not, um, it's not like mechanistically or uh, puppet used by God himself uh, to merely make us suffer. But it's a result of our sin of our fallen condition that we do suffer. Uh, but we also see, I know that Tim Keller talks about this a lot, that God in Christ suffered and he experienced our suffering. He entered into our suffering and he redeemed that suffering because he used that suffering to give us his obedience. And so that suffering was used, especially in the personal work of Christ. And so we see a, um, a, an end of suffering in that sense, which is why I think he allows it. I don't know how he uses it or how that's worked out necessarily. I just know that that's what makes him good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jesus literally reached the deepest level of pain the universe has ever known by separation from his Trinity Father. Yeah, he was separated, so we would be close. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, in the, in the Bible, if you want to read about Joseph, um, if it wasn't for his own character suffering, he would not have uh, been strengthened and refined by his trials. Uh, he would not have been a powerful agent for social justice and spiritual healing. Um, over and over again, you see characters in the Bible go through trials and suffering in order to come out better on the other end. Yeah, I mean, in an ultimate sense, to point to the to one who suffered perfectly and suffered yep. unjustly. All other characters suffered justly or suffered in an imperfect way compared to the perfect suffering of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, the other questions, I, I think we did answer that question at least briefly in, uh, some of the earlier episodes. Um, but going on to the next ones, uh, Christianity is a straitjacket, probably just mean confining. Yeah. And I'm going to say, thank the Lord. It is confining. Thank the Lord that I'm, I'm given this narrow path because without it, I would stray. It's also freeing. It's also incredibly yeah. freeing that we don't have the burden of weight of works and sin on our shoulders anymore. Yeah, the obedience of Christ, I guess uh, technically you can call that a straight jacket where it's over us and 
that is our moral code, but I'd rather have that than my own. Uh, next one, the church is responsible for so much injustice. I mean, in the temporary sense, I think that's true. I think there is a lot of injustice that comes from the church, but that does not reflect on the one who runs the church. That reflects on the humans that run the church. Mm -hmm. And so we have to differentiate between those two things. Mm -hmm. We are a fallen, imperfect people trying to convey and represent a perfect God. Yep. So, um, not denying it, we're just saying that's humanity's fault, not the sovereign fault. Mm -hmm. um, how can a loving God send people to hell? I mean, we've answered that before. I think. Yeah, because he is loving. Yeah, and. People, he doesn't technically send people to hell. People are sending themselves to hell. Yeah, well, it's, they send themselves by disobeying. Mm -hmm. They're not saying no to God necessarily. They just fall short of the glory of God. that They have disobeyed their entire life and have not had the one to obey for them. That's what sends them to hell because they have to be separated from righteousness, but they are forever under justice of their sin versus christians we are under righteousness um science has disproved christianity we talked about that one uh the next one is you can't take the bible literally yes you can in a sense that it's historically true but yep. go go back to episodes one and three again um so i think that that covers it i mean if there's something we didn't cover i'd be kind of surprised because that was a lot <laughs> yeah. and i can tell i can tell you're uh, probably getting tired <laughs> i got a i got a haircut in 15 minutes oh geez okay we better we better wrap it up um there we go that's season one we did it we did it peter yep yeah and don't worry you guys more episodes are coming season one doesn't mean we're stopping season one just means we're transitioning cool all right There's more cooler stuff we're there's so much in the reformed faith to be taught mm -hmm. to be given handles on and we want to give and that you can see these things in the church be led to a, a good solid reformed biblical church learn about jesus's finished work on your behalf uh, but that's why we exist as a podcast is to point you towards that cool Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure, Peter, and thank you for listening. Hopefully, you've listened to all 15. If you haven't, uh, we forgive you. That's totally cool. Just go back and <laughs> listen to a lot of these that we Nick referenced. forgives you. I don't. Forgiveness is part of being a uh, Christian. Oh, so. man. Okay, I forgive you. <laughs> so, yeah, go back, and especially the, the episodes we referenced with these common questions. So Yeah, and uh, uh, let us know. What's your, if you guys have requests for next season, we've, we've got a couple things kind of, kind of in the background, but if you guys are looking for some topics to be answered on the reformed interpretation, um, the things that your church is not addressing, your school is not addressing, and you want to, uh, have a good solid grasp of what the reformed tradition is on these topics, let us know. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, we will catch you next time. Yep. Like, subscribe. More stuff's coming. Find our Instagram page. 
Um, yeah, we are excited to do more of this and we'll see you guys later.